ask you turn your Bibles to the book of James. We are continuing our study through this book and we're uh, coming close uh, to an end and as we are in James chapter 5, looking at verse 7, focusing on 7 through 11. Um, as you see, the title of today's text of subject will be uh, of patience. And I've already been teased with a little bit about this to make sure that I don't do this too fast, uh, that we will be patient together uh, as we go through this. And I, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word patience. Um, I grew up in an, uh, a Christian home. My dad's a pastor, and so they had all kinds of, of music uh, for children. And, and one of them uh, was this record uh, called the sound machine, um, or the music machine, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And so I, I, to this day, I cannot hear um, the word patience without thinking of this children's song, which unfortunately was done as a character of a snail, and uh, spoke really slow, saying, Be patient, be patient, don't be in such a hurry. So when I hear that word patience, unfortunately, it takes me back to the Snell story, um, and it, it, it's a curse. I, you know, I, and I sing it to my kids, and they don't understand. Um, they did not get expected. I, I found it on YouTube now. They have everything on, on things like that. So I might have a little moment where I'll make them go through that. Um, but the thing about that, as I think about the word patience, it, it kind of got grained into me that the word patience is slow. You, you have to be slow to be patient and that's not really at all the sense of the word um, in fact as you read in the book of James uh, and you see how it's described um, what we're looking at here is really dealing with the, the opposite is grumbling the opposite of patience is to be a grumbling spirit uh, patience is speaking to something else of a a serenity in your heart despite what is going around you uh, because you know something. Um, and so that's part of what we're going to talk about. What is it we know that allows for a patient spirit? As we've gone through the book of James, uh, we've dealt with uh, the idea that he's talking about having a whole heart, uh, to be wholehearted in our worship, and in which that song that Deb has shared with us is very much expressing, I want my whole heart to be in worship of Jesus Christ and not to be double-minded. In fact, you'll see the words perfect, uh, depending on your translation, as you read through the book of James, be perfect or complete or wholehearted, not be double-minded. And so we've seen in the book of James how there's these evidences that we reveal our heart in. Uh, and one of the beginning subjects of the book of James is how we deal with trials, how we endure sufferings. And so James chapter 1 started off with this theme, and now in James 5, as we look in verse 7, he's beginning the closing arguments of his book, and he's, he's looking all the way back to how he started. He said, remember how what I said about when we endure various trials to count it all joy? Um, you remember how I talked about that? Well, I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to speak even more specifically that when you go through trials, don't be a grumbler. Uh, don't have that type of uh, discontented spirit, but rather 
be patient in it. And there's really two forms of patience. There is the patience of working with others. And then we'll see that there is also the patience with God. Uh, And so we'll see that he addresses both of these as we look at this and how we deal with others. And then also how we deal with God. We'll see that especially in verse 11. So I'm going to ask that we read this together in the book of James, beginning with chapter 5, verse 7. And uh, if you'll stand together in honor of this being God's word, if you'll read silently as I'll read aloud, uh, beginning with verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You may be seated. In chapter 4, I'm going to just do a quick review. We, We talked about how there's this turning point from a double mind, and how we can get healing from God. In chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 and 3, we saw that being full of self brings misery into every relationship. And so if you're uh, one of these people that, uh, as we all naturally are, we're born this way, where our go-to default is how does everything relate to me and the world revolves around me, uh, that is in... uh, learning through God's word and his spirit that it is the problem ourself being full of self and there will be misery in every relationship you ever seen the child with the temper tamper in the grocery store all right well that's kind of multiplied across the board we may control our outward expressions but inside we still pitch a fit uh, because there's this full of self that brings misery into every relationship and so miserable relationships flow from double-mindedness, uh, this idea that I, I want to be with God, I want to follow Him, but yet I also want what I desire. And so these things are constantly at conflict within us and with others. He says, you know, this war, these conflicts that we have, you see them in verse 1, they come from this double-mindedness. Um, and then we see that double-mindedness is healed by God's grace. It's healed. There, there can be a whole heart that is captured by Jesus Christ. And it's God's grace that moves in to make that happen. You see that uh, in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4. Uh, God's grace is given to humble, while God resists those who are full of themselves. And so the humility to say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. Uh, there's something more important than me. And I acknowledge that. And I, I come to grips with that and as we confess that before God he gives us grace to heal our hearts but if we continue and being full of self then well expect God's resistance you see in verse 6 
Therefore, we're to pursue resting in God's authority. We're going to seek out in all the areas of life to say, I want God's authority, not my authority, and to learn how to rest in His authority, not to be constantly fighting against Him. I remember with our children, we, we had the, um, the child restraint lap belts, and you had the booster chairs and uh, the five-point harness, and I, I thought, uh, when we finally got our last child, I thought it was like graduation. We had been in it for 12 years where we had to have a booster chair. I wanted some kind of celebration when I threw out, but the only thing I had was just me. It's like, woohoo, you know. But, but the problem was you, you put them in this five-point harness, and, and they would just, someone would just buck against it and would hate it, and the whole ride would be miserable. And I would say to them, look, you, you just got to rest. You got you to understand this, these seatbelts have got to go on. You can't fight against it because it's under the authority of our NC State laws that we wear these. But they just didn't quite get that. And they were constantly bucking against the authority and the, and the rides were long and miserable for everybody. But to rest in the authority of God. And so we're going to uh, pursue this. And so we looked last week and we saw how this plays into our financial life. So we're going to let God's authority govern our desire and accumulating of money. Uh, we looked at that in James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, as he focused in on this. Again, making sure our heart is wholehearted, that there's not these rebellious areas of our life that's uh, bucking against God's authority and to say, this too matters. And so, uh, we go from verse 6 to now verse 7. And he talks about being patient. And so, I'm going to just share with you that being patient demands wholehearted worship of Christ. Being patient is going to demand this wholehearted worship of God. It's going to be one of these points where it reveals where our heart's at. And so look with me in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Now the word here, be patient, uh, literally refers to enduring for a long time or suffer long with others. Or another way of saying this is have a long fuse when dealing with other people. That you're not quick to blow up, quick to grumble, quick to sigh in exasperation. I was looking up the words for grumbling and, and, and it's talking about uh, the, the different words and one of them was sigh. And so uh, I thought, you know, whenever I hear someone sigh, it's usually with a certain facial expression. Ladies, you know what that is, right? The rolling of eyes, right? Uh, do not roll the eyes in exasperation. Uh, this, this patient spirit that, that flows of, to say, to be long-suffering and enduring, not blowing up with others. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then it goes, it uses this illustration, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And, and so here's this agricultural illustration that in that area would have, de depending on the early rains in which the seeds would be germinated and planted in, and then the latter rains in which the, uh, the crops would be reinforced and, and thus be able to bud. And I thought, well, what does it look like for a farmer not to be patient? Well, if a farmer wasn't holding out for the latter rains, 
then they would give up on the crops. They would dismiss it. They would no longer have hope in what's going to be produced. They might even plow up the ground and forget about what has been invested. And so when we think about that with other people, to say to not give up on what can be done in their life, not to condemn them, to plow them up and judge them and call them as worthless and to go on your way and signing off their life and their future and say there is a judgment there of saying, I deem this person as unworthy, unproductive, unfruitful in my life and I will go on because they are of no count in their life. And so as we look at this farmer illustration, what they do, it kind of gives us some idea of what he's talking about with others. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, seeing that there is a latter rain, a latter rain, something that we can hope in that God will do in the lives of people around us. You also be patient, verse 8, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So as we read this, what does it mean to be patient with others, demanding a wholehearted worship of Christ? Well, to understand that to be patient with others demands a heart strengthened by the nearness of the Lord. To have a heart strengthened. You see that? Verse 8. Establish your hearts. How? What, what am I looking at? What am I hoping for? The coming of the Lord is at hand the word at hand is the idea it's near his uh in spirit he is here we know by the holy spirit his presence is there but there is soon coming a time when his appearance will be made known and so he's saying just remember to be patient because the lord is at hand there is a nearness to the lord and so it it means that there is a latter rain. There's something we can hope and look to to know that God is going to shape the hearts of people around us. As we keep on reading, he tells us something else that will strengthen our heart. He says, as we keep, be patient with others because not only is a, uh, uh, is demands a heart strengthened by the nearest of the Lord, it also demands a heart strengthened by a perfect judge. A heart strengthened by a perfect judge. You keep on reading. It says, verse 9. So he says, the coming Lord is hand. Remember that, be patient. But do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He says, I, I want you to remember that there is a good and perfect judge And so he's nearby, and there will be judgment that will be executed soon. And so we don't step in the way, in the place of being the judge. You see this in chapter 4. Right before this, in verse 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he just said that, and now he's kind of speaking about this. He says, let this, the, the discontentment of other people's behavior, don't let it be the source 
of grumbling in your heart. Isn't that one of the hardest things to deal with? I mean, I'm going to ask you ladies, what percentage of the time that you roll your eyes is because of your husband? Are your children because of some misdeed or insensitivity that is being exhibited therein? And, and then it's just like, I can't deal with the ineptness of the people around me. And so I express it in some way. It is the problems of other people. This week, uh, we have the Southern Baptist Convention. This uh, church is a part of that network. Um, and for those who follow the Southern Baptist Convention uh, and the dealings therein, it has been an unrest nationally that I've not seen in a really long time. And it's been stirred up by misdeeds, bad words of leaders, one of which is the uh, president of Southwestern, the president of Southeastern, uh, someone that I personally know, and some things that were brought up about his leadership at Southeastern and then at Southwestern uh, that certainly seems to be bad. And the thing about nowadays, when you have stuff like that happening and someone complaining about leaders in, the, in any national network, we have the benefit of social media, right? Which means that everyone gets to pitch in their statement, gets to pitch in their, uh, their opinion. And so when people have been asking me, how's Southern Baptist Convention going on? And I'm just like, it's, it's just bad. It's just some difficult days and I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen on Tuesday uh, and Wednesday when when the convention is meeting together but one of the things that's helped me as I read this text is to say you know there's some things that don't look good there are some statements being said that are bad and there's this thought of, what, what, what do I weigh in? What do I say in these things? And, and the, the thing of it is, is I don't have to weigh in. I don't have to give my voice to this because these are issues that really I am not a judge over. And I could rest with the fact that, you know, I don't know all the things done by Dr. Paige Patterson. I don't think I know all the things done by various accusers. I don't know all these things, and I don't have to know because there is a judge who is at hand, and he can deal with these things better than what I can. Now, sometimes we're in a position of accountability where we have to give some kind of judgment. Rest that if you're in that situation, you rest with the fact that I'm going to do the best I can with what I know how, but God knows and the ultimate justice will rest with him who knows all things and knows what the adequate consequences are and knows how to save all individuals involved. And so when we think about this, we've got to understand that our hearts are going to be strengthened by a perfect judge when we see wrong things being done by others we care about, we love, we know, we don't know. We know that there is a perfect judge and that he is at hand. And that's why James brings this out. 
Look, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door that when we start grumbling, we start condemning, we start plowing up the ground like, well, there's not going to be any ladder rains here. I'm just going to put all these people and cast them aside. He says, look, you are acting like a judge. And you need to know that a perfect judge is coming and will execute. That all the things we know are just tidbits. Let me share with you a verse that has meant a lot to me. It's 1 Corinthians 13, a whole chapter, you know, the love chapter. But one of the things that is said in the love chapter, now we know in part. Now we look through a glass dimly. But then, referring to our time with Christ when we're in his presence, but then we will know even as we are known. And what I read about that and I see this is, is to understand that I don't know things perfectly. Even the things of theology are only things that God has given to me and I'm coming at it with imperfect interpretation sometimes. And to understand that there is not room for a quick judgment and being dogmatic in many areas of life. Because... God has only revealed to me things that I know in part, but there is a day and time when I will know in full. And that certainly does apply to having to deal with matters of of interpersonal relationships with others. So, if that is the case, that I don't really know in full anyway, then why don't I continue down this long-suffering direction to have a long fuse? Patience with other demands a heart strengthened by a perfect judge. To go through hardships and injustices in this world, I would argue with you that the only way you can do it without turning into the monsters is to believe a God who is just and is there. That you can rest on perfect justice with that God. If I don't believe that, then justice becomes my product. And I will turn myself into a monster to try to give justice to those I deem as those monsters. We keep on reading. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And now he's about to shift. Uh, verses 8 and 9, he's talking about patience with others. But now he's going to use a different word for patience, which means to literally to remain under which is the idea of enduring. Continue in this position, which is difficult, but stay in this position. Uh, And so it has this idea of endurance. And so he says, remember the prophets in verse 10, who spoke in the name of the Lord. Have you, you've been reading the F260 church Bible reading plan. That's what Rich was alluding to. And now we're in the prophets. We're reading Isaiah. We've read Hosea. We've read Jonah. We've read uh, reading Micah. We're, we're, getting exposed to these guys. And one of the things that you see as a common thread with all these prophets, they had to endure. I mean, they, we read Isaiah this morning. When God calls Isaiah, he says, all right, Isaiah, I want you to send this message out, but I want you to understand in advance that you're going to preach this message, but you're not going to have one convert. They're not going to listen to you. <laughs> Isaiah says, How long? Oh, Lord. He's calling Isaiah to say, I want you to endure, to remain. Then you got the interesting case of Hosea. Hosea, 
People need to understand how I endure, how I'm long-suffering, how I'm loving and kind to the people. And so here's how I want you to do it. I want you to marry a woman named Gomer. So you already see the persecution beginning. And this woman is going to be a prostitute, and she will not repent. She will continue down those roads, and you will continue to love her, and you're going to have one child and two children. You're going to name them, the, uh, and you're going you're to let them be uh, a loving, faithful husband, though she is not. I want you to live this way, and you're going to call her back time and time again. I want you to endure. You see this? And Ezekiel, again, the same message. You're going to go and speak to the ones in captivity. Jeremiah, you're going to tell them that uh, they, they need to surrender to Babylon. That's your message to Judah, that they need to surrender. And then when they're in captivity, you're going to tell them that they're not going to leave there in their lifetime, so they might as well just settle down in Babylon and work to the peace of that city. That's your message. And of course, you know, they, no one's going to like that. They try to kill them. And Jeremiah said, oh God. What you see when, he, when, he, when, Jared brings, or when James brings this up, consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Use their example of suffering, of remaining under in patience. And then you got Job, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and um, perhaps we've read about that where Job had all these blessings and he was known as a rich man, but one day these things get stripped out from underneath him, all his possessions, uh, his children die, and all that's left, even his health is, is stripped away, but he has this refrain that God has given and he's taken away, and though he slay me, yet I will trust in this God, I will remain under, and I'm going to hold on day after day. We read about that. Verse 11, what's the key? Well, patience with God demands hearts strengthened by God's purpose of compassion and mercy. You see that in verse 11. You have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. When we go through life, I, this past weekend, um, we went camping with the RAs, and I thought, you know, this is fitting. I get this passage uh, after camping with the RAs um, because, you know, there's no electricity at that campsite. And uh, it, it was hot. Friday night, I'm just going to say it was miserably hot. And I'm sitting there in a hammock, and, you know, I got Canaan next to me. And it's like any place he touches is sweat. And I'm just going through the night just like, oh, this night's never going to end. You know, it is so hot. And, and so you just, you wake up the next day, you're like, man, that was, that was miserable. And, and we think that somehow it gets better by complaining. And it's like, guys, did y'all, did y'all sleep last night? No, man. We just like, and we start, you know, vending with one another and talk about how hot and miserable things were as we went through the night. And, and I think God's just preparing me as I go to Puerto Rico with no AC this week. Um, like, oh, more of this, you know. Uh, and, and so there's this, this idea of like, we think we get better uh, by complaining. But to understand that there is a God who is at work, involved in life, and he is compassionate and merciful. How do I know that? 
Because that's a big statement of faith. I know that God has compassion and mercy even when life seems like, God, is this, are you just being cruel? That despite what is going on in the everyday and the tragedies of our life, when things like God seems desolate, are desolating us, we go back to Jesus on a cross. Dying on behalf of us. That when I ever wonder, God, do you have love to me? Because in the latest events of the things that seems awfully cruel, God brings me back to Jesus on the cross. And in that message, when he says, here's what I want you to know. What he wanted us to know is that there is forgiveness and there is love and there is mercy if we would come to him. And so that we let that message permeate. And so when we go through those hot nights when you can't sleep to understand that Jesus died on the cross for me. And though these things are not comfortable, he has a purpose. And the purpose is coming from a compassionate, merciful heart. And I will just hold on to that. Though I can't connect the dots between Jesus on the cross for me and this latest event, I can't connect the dots yet. But I know that once the dots are connected, it will spell out compassion and mercy in my life. We read this and it lets us know, verse 11, blessed are those who remained steadfast. And God says, you are happy. Count it all joy. Go back to chapter 1. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Remember how we define wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. To say in those hot nights when you can't sleep, to say, God, I don't like the things that are happening around me. And I know that you have control. And you could choose these things and make them stop if you wanted to. But I will trust that your authority is in this. And I will long to see how beautiful your authority is in this circumstance. Give me eyes to see the beauty of what you're doing. Not just how I feel uncomfortable in it. There's really two ways that we go through life. Either we're walking through life and we're looking at everyone seeing how they can contribute to me. Or we're walking through life and we're seeing how we can give to others. There's really only one of two ways. You see someone you want to be around with them because you think maybe they contribute something to your future, your past, your present. Or... You go around someone and you see how you can be a blessing. The latter, how to be a blessing, only comes from those who believe that God is near and has compassion and love and is just. To believe that God has gone the extra mile on our behalf. And if he's gone the extra mile on our behalf, then we can have strength to carry on, to endure whatever comes our way. 
with that thought, I want you to see this video to understand that patience is empowered by our relationship with the Lord. It's not just a discipline. It flows from relationship. To understand that patience is not just something internal. It flows out of relationship. It flows out of the Father who says, walk with me. I have been patient, and I will be patient, and I am the extra mile so that you can carry on loving God, wholehearted in our worship. I don't know what the arena of complaint and grief and source of rolling eyes in your, eye, in your life is, but let Jesus step in. Let his example, let his love, let his mercy, compassion, let his nearness, let his justice speak in and make a difference. Let's stand as we sing together. Response is simply, Lord, I will walk with you and endure with you.